good practice that every once in a while uh, the fathers of the church and the saints of the church tell us to stop as often as we can and take a look back at the period of time that we just went through and see what we've accomplished. And I think many times the devil tries to come and, uh, you know, disturb this practice. Some of the saints would look at this practice continually, to continuously look every night, every day, what have, what have I accomplished? And if you're like me and you do this at the end of this Lent, you may very well be disappointed. And we may say, wow, we made it this far and we really haven't accomplished anything. In, so, in some cases, many, some of us may very well have gone backwards. And it's, it's okay. Um, it happens. And I think what the church is telling us is that with all of the beauty of this week and how packed it is with opportunities, there's still time. And I think what we'd like to do is make sure that we don't look back at what we missed, but we still have a long time to go. Um, the, the church almost takes it slowly with us and then works us up to this point where We've got church in the morning, we've got church in the evening, and we get to the culmination of Friday and Saturday and Sunday where we almost have nonstop church, um, nonstop opportunities. And if you haven't taken advantage of them, this is a good time to start. In some cases, coming to a point where you can just benefit from one day is much more valuable than having gone through 54 days of not benefiting. So it's important that we look forward and try to capitalize on that. So having said that, there's a number of themes that we see throughout this Holy Week, and we just want to focus on one today. Um, that, that theme is God's original plan for us. What was that original plan? How did we fit within that original plan? What happened to that original plan? How did we fall out of the original plan? How do we get back into it? That's what we want to focus on. So let's, let's start with a concept of the, what the fathers in the church, of the fathers of the church going all the way back to page one of Genesis. We say, what was God's plan? God's plan was not to create man to be his servant, or to be his slave, or to do things for him. God, God's plan was that mankind participate with him. This is, this is very clear, that he, we were not to be subjugated to him and be under his thumb. He wanted us to participate with him, just like a, a, a son participates with his father and lives in a relationship with him. This is even evidenced by, during creation, God went out and, and made all things, even to the point where he brought man in and said, you know what, I did all the hard work, I, named all, I, I made all the animals, you give them names. I'll let you participate with me. You're not, you're not my slave, you're going to be with me. You're going to be a part of this. And that was the original plan. And the fathers of the church go on to say that there was this concept of image and likeness. God created us in his image and his likeness. Well, what's, what's image mean? Image is 
my little daughter has curly hair because I have curly hair, right? That's, that's indisputable. That's just the image. We can't do anything about it. We are in his image whether we like it or not. But the second part of that is the harder part, the likeness. The likeness is the, what I impart on my children by them being around me. The way I speak, the things I say, the way I act, my mannerisms, my temperament, those things are the likeness because they are there with me. And that's where the problem became. That's where the problem came is we decided to let sin come in, wedge itself between us, and Adam decided not to live in his father's house, just like the prodigal son left his father's house. And all of a sudden, that likeness, that ability to live with God and um, be like him, which God wanted from the very beginning, was lost. So it's, it's very important that we look at that and see how can we how can we regain that because it can be regained and God wants us to come back to that original state but right now we've we've got this wedge and as long as that wedge is in between us we can't we can't be at that original state someone might see Adam or the prodigal son and say oh yeah that's that's God's he has God's image but it doesn't have God's likeness because he let that wedge come in so, so what I want to do is I just want to focus on a couple of the, 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 the stories and the gospel readings that the church has lined up for us in its wisdom to remind us of this. And that will, that will frame the, the issue, and then we can talk about what's the solution to the, to the issue. Um, and, and forgive me because I know we've, we've talked about these a few times already, but just just a refresher. When you look at Sunday, let's just start with Sunday. And I'm gonna I'm gonna start by calling these um, this list of stories or this list of events. I'm gonna call it the list of the great disappointments because that's the common theme here. If you start with Sunday, you're gonna see that Christ rode in as a king. Into the great temple, into the great city, and he went to the temple. And when he got there, the great temple, which is the holiest, the holiest site in all of the Jewish religion, it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't what he wanted. It was not holy. He saw money changers, corruption, people selling oxen, and, and all of a sudden, this image that he had this original plan that he had for this temple was gone. It was not there anymore. And what, what did that prompt? That prompted him to kick, remove all of the corruption and basically curse it and say, this is not, I don't care of any of the history or the tradition around this. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It's lost, it's lost the likeness of what it should have been. So even, even more beautiful of that, if you read the following sentences after he cast out all the money changers and he was very upset about it, the first thing he did after that was he healed the lame and all those that were sick came to him and he healed them. And then right after that, if you read the next sentence, the children started 
started yelling Hosanna. And it was almost as to tell them, what you had here was not the image of what I wanted the temple to be, but this is what I wanted the temple to be, a place where the, the sick come and we heal them and we show them our love and we take care of them and the children come and they pray Hosanna. Let's move to the next example. And I, I know we've talked about this many times, so I won't spend time on it. The fig tree on Monday. Christ was walking by and he saw the beautiful fig tree with the branches blooming and thought, for sure, I can go get a, a nice fruit from it. And when he got there, he was disappointed. Again, the same theme. It looked beautiful from the outside. It was blooming. The leaves were there. The fruit should have been there too. But it wasn't there. It, it wasn't what he, what he wanted. Another, another big disappointment to Christ. So what did he do? He cursed it. And the next day when they walked by, it withered away. It was withered away. The, the next example is um, when Christ reprimands Jerusalem and then right after that reprimands the scribes and Pharisees. So the same thing that we saw with the temple. And with the temple, um, it was the same thing. Here we've got Jerusalem, the great city. I mean, there's, there was, this, was, this was referred to as the city of God, Jerusalem. And what happened when he goes in? He says, probably the worst thing he could say to, to, uh, in characterizing the city, the killer of the prophets and those that were sent to it. There's nothing worse. I mean, the prophets were the holy people that, were, that God sent to them and to call Jerusalem the killer of the prophets. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou kills the prophets and stones them which were sent to you. How often would I have, would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings and you would not. So again, he had a plan. He wanted them to come. They didn't want, they didn't want it. So no matter how great the city is, in his eyes, it's still, it's, still not, um, it's still not what he wants. And then from there, we start to see something that's going to hit more home with us is the discussion with actual people. Up till now, he's cursed, he's cursed the city, he's cursed the temple, he's cursed the, the tree. But what about, what about with humans? Well... This one hits, hits, might hit home closer to us. As he starts to talk to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first which is that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like white sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So this is, this is stinging. When you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, who were they? The scribes were the ones that were meant to write and keep the law so that they could interpret it if anybody needed to understand it. How could, how could you say all these things to these people who are supposed to be the ones who kept the law? The Pharisees, the word Pharisee itself means separated 
out from the rest of the people. These were special people that felt that they had to keep God's law in what they ate and what they touched and who they socialized, how they washed their hands, all of these things. And they do all of this and God looks right through them. Christ looks right through them and says, that wasn't the plan. To do all this stuff on the outside, yes, maybe you have my image, but you don't have my likeness because on the inside, it's not there. And then finally, the example of the, of the ten wise the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins um, that we just read. You have ten indistinguishable, ten, ten indistinguishable people waiting for the bridegroom to open the door. And when it's open, they all should enter, but they're not all ready. And even though all of them looked the same, they all had lanterns, five of them didn't have anything in their lanterns. They weren't ready. They weren't they were a disappointment as well. So let's, let's talk about how we can regain this likeness and make sure that we also are not a disappointment to Christ or to God at the, end of, at the end of our days. The first thing that the fathers of the church tell us we need to do is we need to do something. And what is that something? Anything. You need to do your part. And when you look at the Gospels and you look at God, Christ's interaction with the people, when he, went to do, when he went to go bless the five loaves and the two fish, he said, what do you have? Bring, bring me whatever you have. That, that's pretty easy. Just bring whatever you have. And when he, when, he, when he blessed it, he gave it to the disciples and said, pass, pass it out. You need to do something. I'm not, Christ, could have, Christ could have created food for all of these people without having five loaves and two fish. He didn't need that. He could have created it right in front of everybody. He could have made everybody full without doing anything. But that's, that wasn't the plan. The plan is we need to do this together. With the, the wedding of Cana of Galilee, fill the jars with Lazarus, move the stone. You need to do something. This is not just going to be me working by myself. So we need to do our part. But it's interesting because when we look at what we're doing, it's fairly insignificant. Um, none of those things are really making a difference, but they're significant to God in that if we do not do them, he will not bless them and he will not work with us on them. Um, the, the example that the fathers of the church give, and it really kind of reminds me of when I was a child, my grandfather would say, let's go mow the lawn and I'm this big, he would push the lawnmower and I'd put my hand on it and say, I'm mowing the lawn. Well, I'm, I'm not really mowing the lawn. I'm just, I'm participating. And he, he's making me feel like I'm participating. And that's what God wants us to do. The, the next thing, the next point is that the type of work that goes, that Christ, or God is asking us to put forth is not work in the same sense of me getting up and going to work every day, right? We can't look at it as that. I can't download a checklist and say, this is what I'm going to do. It doesn't work that way. It's more like work on a relationship. For anyone who's married understands that that's, I can't go pull a checklist that says, 
do all these things and you'll have a good a good marriage. It's a relationship. You have to work at it and you have to sacrifice. That's the type of work that God wants to see us put in. Again, even knowing that it's insignificant, it's not he doesn't need it, but he wants to see it from us. And that's and that's very important. Christ warns us though and he says make every effort to enter into the narrow door for many i tell you will try to enter and will not be able after the master of the house gets up and shuts the door you will stand outside knocking and saying lord open the door for us but he'll reply i do not know where you're from then you will say but we ate and drank with you and we taught in your streets and he will answer, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, you evildoers. So here we need to be careful of confusing work with image image or things that are um, have no substance. This particular verse is very scary to me because I can take all of those words and say, when we come... You know, he, he says, um, they knocked on the door and he said, I do not know you. And they said, well, we ate and drank with you. We come every Sunday and we eat and drink. But do we have a relationship or do we just come and eat and drink? We say, we taught in your streets. I taught Sunday school. I stood in front of everybody and taught. But did you have a relationship? It's very scary that those same people said, said that to God, and he said, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you. You never created a relationship with me. Yes, you did all those things, and they were great on the outside, but there was, there was no relationship between us. The, the other thing is that all of these works that we were talking about need to be done out of love. St. Paul says, I'll give, says, if I give all my goods if I give all my goods to feed the poor, and even if I give my body to be burned, but I have no love, profits me nothing. So this love that we're talking about is the type of love that is sacrificial love for a relationship, like a, like a husband and a wife, like a, a, um, a parent and a child. You would give anything up for that other person. That's the type of love. It cannot be superficial activities and checklists it doesn't work that way and just if if you want an example all we have to do is look at the saints the more the saints gave up of themselves the more they wanted to give up more and and it, it doesn't it sounds silly but the more they gave up the more they wanted to give up and the the the, the beautiful story of um saint peter the worshiper who started off his life in a very bad way. He was a tax collector. And ultimately, when he saw he had a dream of all of the bad things that were going to happen to him if he didn't change his ways, he gave everything away to the poor. In the end, all he had was a jacket. And then he was walking and he saw someone cold and took that jacket off and gave it to, to a poor man. He then had a dream and saw Christ wearing that jacket and telling him how happy he was for giving him that jacket. The next day, he said, I don't have to give anything else to give to Christ. I don't have anything else to give to God. So he went 
and sold himself into slavery and took that money and gave it to the poor. That's the type of other level of love. Completely selfless. The, the next thing we want to keep track of is we can't delay. Time is running out and we really, really need to move quickly. We, we, we come here on Sundays and I think we think, well, I'll be back again next Sunday if I didn't get anything. But we don't know that. We don't know when the door is going to shut. We don't know if we're going to be able to have another chance. So we need to take advantage of every chance we have. The next, the next point is we really need to have some zeal in our actions. When we do this work, we need to mean it. And what do I mean by that? I, I think nothing, nothing summarizes it better than the book of Revelation, which says, um, God says to the church of Laodicea, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God is telling them basically, you're, you're just too wishy-washy. You're not here. You're not in church. You're in church, but you're not in church. You're serving two masters. It doesn't work for me. God doesn't want half of us. God doesn't want partial. It's like we all know dealing with that person who never really gives you straight answers. It frustrates us. It frustrates God too. So we need to have some zeal and stand behind what we're, we say we're going to do. Um, the, the second part of this is we talked about what we can do, right? And in the end, what we, what we concluded is everything we do is kind, of, is kind of worthless. It's very insignificant in the grand scheme of things if God himself doesn't come in and put his hand. And King David recognizes this when he, when he tells God, create me a clean heart, O God. I can't. I can't make my own heart clean. You need to create in me a clean heart. But shouldn't this be the most important thing? Shouldn't we be focused more on God's grace than our works, given that our works are insignificant? Well, this is, this is sort of the, the debate or the, um, the discussion of, of many, many years. What comes first, the grace or the works? The fathers of the church say it doesn't matter. It's circular. The more work you do, the more grace you're going to get. So just start. Put something in and it will be blessed. And because it's blessed, you'll be able to put more in. And because you put more in, the more blessing. It will be a very, it, it, you will benefit from it. It will be circular. Um, finally, the last thing we want to just mention is we really cannot forget the curse. Because... As much as we don't want to dwell on it, in every single one of those stories, there was a curse. And the curse was, the, I do not know you. The door was shut. Um, um, you know, you will be desolate. Things that are very scary for us. And there's two consequences of these curse, curses. The first is, God isn't saying this because he hates us. It's just that all of a sudden we have become incompatible with what he is. He curses the tree. He curses the temple. He curses these things, 
not because he hates them, but it, he cannot be with them. It's like you give me a car part and tell me, put it in this car. And I say, it's not the right car part. I can't put it in. I have to reject it. Not because I hate it, but it just doesn't. The two don't go together. Can't put oil and water together. They'll separate. You can't put um, light and darkness in the same room. So the curse is not so much that you didn't do what I want, so I'm mad at you. It's just we cannot be together. And unfortunately, we can't be together um, today for the rest of your life. And we can't be together forever, which is even worse. So being able to get to that point as soon as possible so that you could live out the rest of your days with God and the rest of our eternity with God is very important. And then the last thing is the door is shut. Once the door shuts, there's nothing else we can do. Once that door shuts, there's no more works. There's no more grace. Maybe there's grace, but we don't know. Right? That's not something we should rely on is that God somehow God will, will overlook everything we did and just give us grace at the end of our lives. So with that, may the blessings of the Great Lent and the Holy Week help us to regain our likeness uh, with, with God and to Him may be glory forever. Amen.